The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. If you're interested in keeping your eye health top-notch throughout all of the stages of your life, this is the program to listen to right now. We'll discuss the latest treatments and technologies to help battle vision-related disease, as well as bring you tips and proven methods to keep you seeing well, now and as you age. Here is your host, Dr. Bob Rothbard. Good afternoon. You're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. Happy New Year. And we're kicking off the year with a really great guest. It's an ophthalmologist that practices in Southern California, Dr. Mavu Agawal. And she is going to be discussing a great array of topics regarding ophthalmology. And we're just going to get right into it. How are you today, doctor? Hey, I'm great. It's such an honor to be here. And I'm really excited to hopefully share a lot of information in uh, not a lot of time with uh, the public and maybe make some of our very complicated eye conditions that we care for, maybe make it a little easier for folks to understand. You know, I so enjoy your lectures when you've come to talk to our society, and that's why I wanted to have you on the show. So we're going to get right into it. Doctor, what are your specialties in ophthalmology? Well, so basically, I always joke um, with my uh, general ophthalmology friends that they do the house and I do the yard. So I pretty much do everything around the eyeball. So my specialty involves um, neuro-ophthalmology, oculoplastics, and strabismus. So to sort of break that down is, you know, strabismus involves the muscles. So we look at the muscles around the eye that move the eye. The oculoplastics part of it, or eye plastics, involves the eyelids, the tear ducts, the tear gland, also known as the lacrimal gland, um, and the tissues in the eye socket around the eyeball. Um, and then finally, the neuro-ophthalmology aspect of um, what I take care of really involves kind of like the electrical. It involves the nerves um, that carry visual information from the eye to the brain um, and, and how those nerves move the eye um, and allow the eye to see on, on multiple different levels, including central vision and then side vision as well. So kind of all the things around the eyeball is what I work on. And that's amazing because... I'm- very few doctors have such a wide array of specialty as yourself, and believe me, it's a great source of referral for us. Uh, what type of diseases do you see, doctor? So, you know, there's there a whole host of things. You know, it's, it just, it's one of those things, and pretty much everyone that comes here is, uh, says the same thing, which is, you know, I, I never even heard of that, and I don't know anyone, I, I, I don't have any friends that, that have anything like that. 
So they always seem a little surprised because we tended to take care of, you know, the eye is a small area. It's only a two-centimeter organ, and, and the tissues and, and are surrounding it. You know, there's, there's so many diseases, though, that, that involve this area. So we really try to make patients understand that, you know, you might feel like the only one with these diseases, but we've got an ocean of people that we take care of that we see all the time with these conditions. But they involve, um, you know, anything that it would affect the nerve in the body, any, you know, nerves in the bodies. And we'll, we'll talk about these conditions more in depth, but, you know, blood flow effects to the nerves, um, neurologic diseases, uh, Parkinson's disease, for example, Alzheimer's disease, um, uh, multiple sclerosis, uh, you know, all those things can affect how the eye functions and how it works. Um, through that, through the through the optic nerve, for example, um, so that plays a big role. And a lot of, from a skin perspective and an eyelid perspective, we sure take care of a lot of patients with skin cancer, uh, thyroid disease, um, droopy eyelids, uh, eyelids that don't close, and eyelids that don't open. <laughs> we get both ends of the spectrum. Eyelids that, you know, sadly turn inside out or develop scarring or from trauma. There's all kinds of different things that we take care of that maybe sometimes you don't think of. I guess on the mainstream level, you know, droopy eyelids are pretty pretty common and people think a lot about that. Um, and then on a, on a, further along those lines is uh, from a strabismus perspective, when we look at ocular alignment, obviously we might have all seen patients or friends that have eyes that aren't perfectly straight ahead. Um, so that would be kind of my third area of focus where we take care of patients whose eyes are not perfectly aligned. A lot of stuff there. Uh, a lot of stuff. It's a lot gotcha. of stuff. It's a lot. And we're going to get into some of this. And how does, you mentioned it, how does multiple sclerosis affect the eye? Well, one of the, one of the ways, um, so, so, these, so from a neuroepithalmic perspective or looking at the optic nerves, when we talk about multiple sclerosis, it's basically uh, lesions that develop um, that slow down the conduction rate of, of information in the body. So... And it manifests, multiple sclerosis is so different for every single patient. Almost that's the constant you could think of in multiple sclerosis, that, gosh, everybody is completely different than the the other person. So it it manifests very differently, but usually what happens in the optic nerve, they develop something called optic neuritis, uh, where you develop inflammation of um, the optic nerve, and that causes the vision to decrease. It can become blurry. And like all inflammatory processes, no surprise here, optic neuritis can often be tender and painful. So patients will feel like their eye aches. It's sore. When they try to move their eye around, gosh, it kind of hurts. So they notice that the optic nerve has become swollen. It's sensitive. It is painful. And then we can see that they've had vision loss, and we also notice that their side vision may be affected um, and, and things of that nature. And that is one way and one manifestation of multiple sclerosis in the eye is optic neuritis. You can also develop problems with misalignment of the eye where the eye can cross um, 
or not move properly with um, in cases of multiple sclerosis, and the eye may not track the way you want it to, so one eye may be slower in tracking an object than the other, and that can happen as well. Usually how we um, take care of these patients is we uh, get them imaged if they haven't been already or recently where we look at their brain with an MRI, and the MRI tells us, well, gosh, we want to look at the brain, we want to look at the optic nerves, and we want to look at the eye when they develop cases of optic neuritis. Um, and usually we can see the inflammation occurring. We can also see uh, if there's any lesions related to MS in the brain um, that could cause some changes uh, that are visible on the MRI. And often when patients develop sudden vision changes, um, we can treat these MS patients with some steroids uh, through the vein, which quiets mm-hmm. it down and hopefully brings their vision back uh, nicely and quickly. Yeah, I was going to ask, is some of this, when it occurs, uh, the symptoms, are they permanent or are they transitory or both, really? Well, what's in, in, and I was just talking to a patient just a few minutes ago about this who has MS, you know, with optic neuritis in particular, you can often see that patients recover nicely, especially with a, uh, a first episode or a second episode. Unfortunately, with progressive episodes, as you can imagine, kind mm-hmm. of if you have engine damage or something and you get that, you know, repaired, if it keeps happening or you keep, you know, going over the same nail on the road, you're eventually going to do some permanent damage to to your car. And similarly, if you keep injuring your optic nerve with this inflammation, it can't bounce back as well as it used to originally when you had a first-time episode. So it can be permanent, but we'd like to think in this um, day and age, if we are working hard to treat these patients when they get an acute episode and hopefully in this in this time where we have a number of medications to keep MS as controlled as, you know, more controlled than before, then maybe we'd have a fighting chance of keeping these patients from having more extensive permanent damage and permanent vision loss. Um, and, and what's nice is in, in 2015, we've got, you know, more therapeutic drugs to treat MS than we've ever had in history, which is wonderful. And hopefully we're able to give more options to these patients so they can have a better outcome and avoid permanent vision loss if possible. Doctor, does this occur in both eyes or one eye more than the other eye or monocular or any combination thereof? You know, it it can occur in one or it can occur at the same time in both. And then there's no rule. Funny how the human body isn't that... Uh, it doesn't follow the rules we think it should. And so sometimes it can only happen in one eye, and sometimes it can happen in both, and sometimes it could be, you know, either or. So it's, it's always ideal if it's just in one, so a patient could rely on the other one to do all their activities and see well out of the opposite eye if it just affects one. And branching off this subject of MS just a little bit, how does various brain diseases affect the optic nerves? Well, you know, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's interesting because what we see, if we can uh, think about what's the most common thing that we hear about affecting the brain, it's things like, for example, we could start with just discussing briefly stroke. 
you know, stroke is something we often all hear about and think about, and, and uh, or we should be thinking about it, hopefully get a handle on treating it and diagnosing it quickly. But we actually, and we know that that comes about, and you're at higher risk for stroke when you have diabetes, high blood pressure, um, high cholesterol, those types of things put you at risk for stroke. So similarly, they, you can be at risk for um, a mild stroke or a mini stroke of your optic nerve, which is ischemic optic neuropathy. So that is one form of sudden vision change where you have a mini stroke to your optic nerve. Again, your optic nerve is the cable that connects your eye to your brain. And again, that's more in one eye than both eyes? It could be in either eye, and some people have a tendency, just how their optic nerve is shaped, that they might be a little bit more at risk for mini-stroke in the optic nerve than another patient. But bottom line is most patients who have these types of very common diseases like diabetes, high blood pressure, and cholesterol, therefore are at risk for having a blood flow event to their optic nerve. The other thing you have to remember is, gosh, the eye is so small. It's only a couple centimeters, not even an inch long. And so, therefore, if we think about the nerve that connects the eye to the brain, well, that's even smaller. And then if you think about the blood vessels that feed the optic nerve, they're even smaller. smaller. So it doesn't take a whole lot of blood flow fluctuation, whether your blood flow gets really... Your blood pressure goes up really high. Your blood sugar is out of control. You know, these kinds of brief episodes that can cause problems with stroke. And Doctor, strokes we're going to come nerve. back after the break, and I want to describe, you discuss other uh, occurrences of brain disease that affect the optic nerves. You're on the Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on Health and Wellness Channel of VoiceAmerica.com. We'll be back. For exciting video content live and on demand, visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local chambers of commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. How is your health? Do you want to know more about it? Every day there are new technologies, procedures, and healing techniques coming forward. To understand them, tune in to Speaking of Health with Dr. Michael Cudlis. Our guests come from different backgrounds in the fields of health and healing. 
We'll discuss new realities and modalities, from chiropractic to metagenics. It's all designed to improve your quality of life. Speaking of Health is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or you can send an email to ranchooptometric at verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. Okay, you're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. We have ophthalmologist Dr. Madhu Agarwal. Doctor, I'd like you to start uh, describing uh, the visual effects with Parkinson's, if you would. Yeah, you know, Parkinson's is affecting millions of patients across America, and essentially what we notice when a patient has um, Parkinson's disease, they can get a couple things with their eye. Um, Sometimes they have problems with eyelid movement, so that they either have difficulty closing their eye and their eye and blink rate, the rate that their eyes close and sort of refresh the tears, um, is very slow. So, you know, they blink less and their eyes dry out, which can be a real difficulty. Or sometimes their eyelids clamp shut and they're unable to open their eyes easily. So we sometimes do some injections or medications to allow their eyelids to relax a little bit more. Um, the other thing that we often notice is they have some difficulty smoothly tracking an object. So maybe they might have great vision with their glasses given, them, given to them by Dr. Bob, um, <laughs> but they might have difficulty reading anyway despite those great glasses and the great prescription because when they try to go look at a page or track the newspaper column, they have difficulty with smooth movements of their eyes. So that's something that we've worked on and tried to treat with either, you know, magnification or increasing font size, increasing contrast, um, and things allowing patients to maybe have an easier time of tracking. Um, the other types of conditions that we often see maybe affecting the brain might be a brain tumor, for example. Um, a lesion or a growth in the brain or the brain stem can do a couple things with the vision. It can cause blurry vision. We know those types of things, no surprise, can cause headache um, and, a, and a lot of pain around the eyes sometimes. Um, but they can often cause a, a backup of the drains through the brain and maybe even cause some higher pressure, therefore, of the fluid of the brain. So we often in the eye business are often the ones who can diagnose things like that because in the exam, we're able to look at the optic nerves and see if they're under significant pressure. Also, we can see um, if there is a lesion in the brain. Sometimes we're able to diagnose it. And I was just talking to a doctor this morning about this where that doctor noticed that there was an abnormality in the side vision of a patient. And so when they were missing some areas of their side or peripheral vision, and in a certain pattern, we can often associate that with a lesion or a growth 
or some type of damage to the brain that would cause a change in the side vision. And the condition of the blurriness, the uh, papilledema, the swelling, is it from these conditions that we sometimes see when we're looking in the eye? Yeah, so the, the term papilledema means that the optic nerves become swollen due to um, high pressure in the brain. So the nerves become swollen, and as you can imagine, if someone is strangling a nerve with pressure or with your fist or whatnot, that nerve's not going to be able to do its job well. So the vision can definitely become effective. Uh, what's, what's great is the human body is just wonderful at holding on to, to vision for a long time until it just can't do it anymore. So you'll often find that patients do pretty well for a while, but then that pressure just bears down too much and the patient's unable to continue to have great vision. And they, they might then come in noting the blurriness in their vision. So, Is there any permanent great. loss of nerve function if this pressure on the nerves exists or is it reversible or I guess it's a gamut. It goes from one end to the other or? Yeah, absolutely. We, um, fortunately, I have a patient I just was seeing that has a condition called pseudotumor cerebri or idiopathic intracranial hypertension, which means, gosh, they just build up fluid for unknown reason. So they build up fluid in their brain. She had such a severe case that unfortunately she's developed um, not only papilledema and swelling of the optic nerves, um, but and through treatment we've managed to get that pressure down off her nerves. Unfortunately, she's had some permanent vision loss. Um, but you know, a lot of patients, if we can get the problem solved and take the pressure off the nerves earlier, they do great and they have a big improvement. Does this fluid on the brain usually correlate with a headache, or a person could have this buildup of pressure? and not even realize it? Patients can absolutely have pressure building up sometimes and not realize it. In, in real life, we're all just trying to get through our day and get through our to-do, our to-do list, and sometimes we can, you know, compensate or just overcome high pain tolerance uh, for things and not even notice that, gosh, you know, our vision's not as good as it was, but, you know, maybe it's my glasses, maybe I'm, my glasses are dirty, you know, and, and just not even notice it. But sometimes, you know, it just becomes, it, it'll usually continue until the symptoms are just not uh, avoidable. And, Doctor, let's also discuss, because unfortunately it's a society in which we live, uh, what drugs can affect vision and optic nerve function? Well, we always keep an eye out um, and want to track patients who maybe some rheumatoid arthritis patients or so if you have an arthritis condition or or lupus, uh, some different autoimmune diseases can often uh, require certain medications, which can have some side effects. So when we think about um, drugs like Plaquenil or hydroxychloroquine, for example, mm -hmm. they um, require some checking to make sure they're not causing any eye damage. Also, uh, lately, and this is flu season, but sometimes patients get some really aggressive pneumonia, and they're often put on some antibiotics that can have some optic nerve um, side effects. Uh, one of those drugs is called the Sambutol, and 
that is a drug that if you definitely want to get good um, follow-up uh, from your specialist to make sure that your eyes are staying safe despite being on that drug, which is important for your health and keep your body working, but we want to watch all these medications and patients who are on them to make sure that you're not developing any side effects that we don't like as well. I have a personal experience, not myself, but a very close relative of mine uh, who actually was had diverticulitis and they massively dosed gentamicin mm. with her. Oh, wow. And developed, a, knocked out the whole balance system within the eye. And uh, so much so that it destroyed. And, you know, it was a question of did you need to use that type of drug to deal with the uh, bacteria within the system? Uh, but they had a whole thing on uh, one of the television shows about individuals who develop Wobbler's disease as a result of this. So that's my connection with it. And it was a personal connection at that with yeah. the way some of the drugs can affect not only uh, uh, vision itself, but knocked out the, all the hairs of that deal with the vestibular ocular reflex. Yeah, that's terrible. So, and, and so it really is. Uh, fortunately, the person has a good frame of mind. Um, it's, uh, and it's permanent. It's nothing that can be done. Uh, but still, it's uh, unfortunate with that. So we really have to look at when we're taking uh, massive amounts of antibiotics and so forth to deal with one thing, there's sometimes some, as you said, side effects and pretty serious ones at that. Absolutely, absolutely. And while we're on that, pretty close to it, uh, do vitamins help you know, some of these conditions, and do you use it in your practice? Well, I, I don't routinely prescribe vitamins. Um, I know there's been, I get a lot of questions about vitamins, because now when you go to the grocery store or the pharmacy, you see a lot <laughs> of eye vitamins. Um, so I'm not, I, I don't feel that patients have to purchase expensive vitamins if they um, don't have... There's certain conditions, like, for example, macular degeneration, where studies have shown that certain vitamin uh, formulations, and those are the ones you see um, often at the drugstore with those certain formulations, can actually help um, decrease the rate of progression of certain types of macular degeneration. But overall... Um, you know, having a balanced diet, having um, great natural, as in food source, uh, food sources of vitamins, I think are a great way to go. And uh, and and barring you know some very specific conditions, I don't think patients have to spend the extra money on particular vitamins. But, you know, the best thing you could do for your ocular health is kind of the same thing you're doing for the rest of your body, which is... Mm-hmm. You know, maintaining a healthy weight, managing chronic diseases if you develop them, like diabetes, high blood pressure, and cholesterol, and managing them well. Um, and, you know, frequent and regular exercise. So we keep the blood flowing. We keep good oxygenation flow to these tiny mm-hmm. organs like your eye. Um, and we are doing everything we can to, to give them the best chance. So those are the things that would make your eye health as good as possible. Yeah, what's good for the heart is good for the rest of the body, too, That's including exactly the eye. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All that you right. mentioned. And one other thing, too, doctor, and uh, maybe we should discuss this after the break because of 
our society and so forth, and that's the effect of stress on uh, what's these conditions and if it really is and the changes in possible hormone secretion and so forth. So why don't we go into a little bit of that after the break and we'll be coming back. You're on voiceamerica.com, Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. We'll be back. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you or does somebody you know face an ongoing battle with addiction? Our nation's drug problem is getting worse as we spend billions on the judicial system. It's time to fight the demand for drugs and not the supply. Listen for I Took the High Road with host Jacob Jansen, who has experienced both IV heroin addiction and recovery and is now here to both help and educate you with his story and engaging guests. There are great resources available for recovery, and there is hope. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local chambers of commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to one 472 5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or you can send an email to ranchooptometric at verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. We're back. This is Dr. Bob. We have ophthalmologist Dr. Mavu Agawal. And, Doctor, I'd like to segue into this section with... Uh, how does stress affect the eye with the hormones and all related topics because it's such an important one, I believe. Yeah, stress is is America's killer, I think. I mean stress is stress is such a such a huge issue in medicine and it you know, we've talked multiple times about chronic diseases like diabetes and, and high blood pressure and there's no question in my mind that, you know, obviously having elevated 
stress levels and elevated cortisol levels um, definitely is going to increase your high blood pressure, which, of course, is going to really impact your health and how you feel overall. Um, We know that in my particular practice, and I'm sure if you talk to any specialist, they probably be able to answer this question. It's it's all bad. (laughs) Stress (laughs) is going to make all kinds of things bad. But but in my practice, I mean, we talked about stroke, so obviously that we see a definitely higher incidence of that. We also see stress causing a lot of uh, our mini strokes of the optic nerve. So the small optic nerve uh, develops strokes too because the blood pressure starts getting fluctuate uh, and the, uh, the, the blood pressure is fluctuating and causing, uh, uh, can cause abnormalities to the blood flow to the small optic nerves. Um, furthermore, what, what I see very frequently is with autoimmune disease. So one of the really? main things I take care of is how thyroid disease affects the eye. And so what I have seen time and time again is, you know, severe life stressors, death in the family, divorce, um, you know, job loss, big things that will cause severe amounts of stress and therefore bring out an autoimmune disease that maybe was silent um, and then stress has caused the immune system to act abnormally and therefore, you get an abnormality in in what what I see, which would be, for example, thyroid eye disease. So that's one of the main things that I've noticed. Wow! And stress, and I find it it even affects one's vision, ability to focus their eyes, and so forth. It is such, and like you said, it could be very much of a killer, or can affect vision so much. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And 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 how it affects your vision in the thyroid eye disease realm is is really in the case is is kind of threefold. Really, or is first of all um, when we have the development of thyroid disease, maybe somebody went through something traumatic, or maybe it's just thyroid disease runs in your family, and it's just a matter of time before mm-hmm. you know maybe a stressor or a life change allows that to show up in a certain person at a given time, and the thyroid eye disease component is, is that when you develop these, uh, when you develop thyroid disease, in, in a lot of cases, you develop these antibodies or proteins that surprisingly don't affect other parts of your body but cause a lot of inflammation around your eye. So it can cause the, you know, lid retraction and cause inflammation of the eyelids, so the eyelids are unable to close and allowed the patient to have this kind of staring uh, appearance. Um, that's from the eyelid perspective. Uh, that is, can cause vision loss, as you mentioned, because their eyes dry out significantly. That could be very dangerous and lead to permanent vision loss. Uh, it causes inflammation of the eye muscles uh, so that the muscles become inflamed, and then they don't move properly, so you end up with ocular misalignment. Um, thirdly, when the eye muscles become inflamed, you can develop inflammation of the eye muscles clamping down on the optic nerve. So then if you get that, again, we talked about putting pressure on the optic nerve and how that can lead to vision loss. Um, and finally, when you get a lot of inflammation, your tear gland just can't produce normal, healthy, happy tears. So you get this dryness that's just unfortunate and, and seen in some diseases that you cannot, uh, that's difficult to shake. 
and difficult to treat. Um, so that is how thyroid eye disease plays a role. And it's actually one of my uh, special, uh, it is, thyroid eye disease is a very special focus of my practice because it, it covers kind of everything that I've been trained to do from strabismus or ocular misalignment to eyelids um, and to optic nerves. So those, all those tissues being affected, it really becomes something that's one of my uh, main specialties. Doctor, with lifestyle changes going on now for various reasons, maybe more sedentary lifestyle, are you seeing more of this now than you used to, or is it being reported more now than it used to uh, years ago, or is it You know, absolutely. I think we definitely are noticing, um, you know, we talk that, that, you know, certain things are on the rise. For example, breast cancer is on the rise, and maybe there's a stress component to that. Who knows? Um, the autoimmune disease is definitely seen pretty commonly, uh, certainly seen a lot in my practice. So these are things that uh, we are definitely noticing and, and have a lot of questions about, and maybe stress and stress hormones are playing a role here. You know, it is interesting um, how you can, and the other facet of this, and maybe this is also stress-related, that how patients develop, uh, even with, for example, thyroid levels being well-controlled, you still can develop, you know, really bad thyroid eye disease. Uh, really? Where the immune system still just doesn't, doesn't control itself well. You still have these abnormal antibodies or proteins attacking the eye tissues, and uh, maybe there's definitely a, a stress result there. Doctor, you alluded to it earlier, referred to it, so let's go into strabismus. Exactly what is it? So strabismus is a condition of where your eyes are misaligned. So if you are, for example, you know, teaching a class, uh, maybe you're a teacher, and I've had a m- number of teachers with this condition, where, you know, you basically might be looking at a student and one eye is looking at the student <laughs> and the other eye is drifting away. Now, it could be drifting in or it could be drifting out, but those two eyes are not focusing on the student ahead of you the way you would like them to. So strabismus is that misalignment where the eye is, both eyes are not working together. So there's no rope. I always say there's no rope that connects your eyes and makes them work together. It's your brain that is telling the eyes to work together. And somehow in patients with strabismus or ocular misalignment, they are not, being told to work easily together. So as a result, you end up with eyes that are misaligned. Um, we, in some cases, treat those patients with glasses, and in some cases, we treat those patients with surgery. And, and I always say it's one of the more, um, really one of the more truly rewarding surgeries that I do. It's just such a self-esteem boost to have eyes pointing in the right direction um, for patients. It's just wonderful, and it's great to see, and uh, it really makes people focus and feel good about themselves and look at people straight in the eye when they're talking to them, that I feel like doing muscle surgery, eye muscle surgery, is just, you know, incredibly rewarding and great for the patient. And getting to that, why do eyes cross? 
What, what could you be know, some of the nobody reasons? Nobody really knows. Um, sometimes ocular misalignment can occur due to what we were talking about before with brain tumors or challenges where the eye is. Uh, become inflamed or having pressure forced onto the eye muscles, which we see with, you know, we talked about the inflammation of thyroid disease, for example. Um, Also, when you have a stroke or a brain tumor or brain lesions or growths or even a cyst, they can put pressure on certain nerves that move the eye muscles that come from your brain, and they can cause the eyes to not work together. And then in some cases, it's just familial. It runs in the family. People, everyone in the family or a number of people have ocular misalignment, or, um, or maybe you're just the only one. In some cases, we just don't know why patients develop it. Um, what I would like to emphasize, though, is that in, in, it is something that's treatable, and it's treatable as a child. If you have it as a child, and it's treatable as an adult, if you have it as an adult, some patients come to me and say, well, I didn't think, you know, my eye that was drifting was correctable because I'm 35. Well, actually it is, and I think it's really important that people know that there's definitely help available if your eyes do not work together at any age. And sometimes if it all of a sudden happens later on in your life, your eyes are straight. As you said earlier, sometimes it could be the result of a possible tumor or that could be a sign, so further uh, investigation uh, must be done with these uh, individuals. And as you said, it's possible to correct the misaligned eyes in adulthood. And how often do you see that, doctor? Where the person has gone most of their life with the crossed eye or the eye going out and they come to you. A one-stop shop for unusual, perhaps, (laughs) But we see it all the time. So if I... When I assess a patient with ocular misalignment, that's the first thing I'm, I'm looking at. Well, how do the eyes move? Um, is one muscle paralyzed, for example? There are six muscles around each eye, and the question is, is there one muscle not working? Is it, or is it, and is it not functioning properly? And do we need to look into, gosh, is you know the brain not telling the muscle to move in a case of paralysis? And that's when we start really investigating the brain and uh, the tissues there. And doctor, just do are some the of these cases of strabismus amenable to vision therapy, where they can do exercises for the eyes to get the eyes to work together in some cases. You know, I'm not that familiar with vision therapy as a as a treatment option for strabismus. Uh, because I know several doctors who do it, and there has been a great result. Sometimes you can't break that cross side of the uh, eye going out, but I've seen with it, uh, and sometimes it's a combination of surgery and vision training with it. So that's one of the things that uh, is sometimes a good joint effort. Uh, between optometry and ophthalmology, and sometimes it just takes surgery to really correct the situation. Doctor, when we come back from our break, I want to go discuss eyelids with you and what you work with and so forth, and can droopy eyelids be fixed, for example? So we're going to take the break right now. Uh, You're on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on voiceamerica.com. We'll be back. We'll be back. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. How many times have you heard this? I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. You are what you eat. I've tried every diet. Diets don't work. It's time to stop this kind of madness and start thinking and feeling empowered to change your health. Tune in to The Raw Truth with Chef Sharon Fraser. Join us weekly for thought-provoking conversations with world-renowned experts in the food, medical, holistic, sports medicine, chiropractic, and naturopathic health sciences. The Raw Truth airs live every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. If you are in Southern California, visit Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center. Dr. Bob started his practice more than 25 years ago, providing high-quality vision care to his patients. Some of our patients and their families have been coming to us since the very beginning. Visit our website at RanchoEyeDoctor.com. There you can click on the Testimonials tab, Video tab, and Blog tab. If Dr. Bob feels that the care a patient needs is beyond his scope of practice or knowledge, he can refer these patients to specialists to make sure the patient is receiving the best care possible. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center is part of the local Chambers of Commerce in Rancho Cucamonga, Upland, and Ontario, California. Our wonderful staff is very knowledgeable and friendly. We welcome most vision care plans and can help you find your vision plan if you're unsure about your coverage. We'd love to have you come in. Visit RanchoEyeDoctor.com or if you're in Southern California, call us at 909-980-3535. Rancho Cucamonga Optometric Center, 909-980-3535 or RanchoEyeDoctor.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob Rothbard. To reach our show, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Or you can send an email to ranchooptometric at verizon.net. Now, back to this week's edition of Vision Talk Radio. Okay, we're back with Dr. Madhu Agarwal, an ophthalmologist. Before we continue with her, I want to introduce next week's show. It's going to be with an optometrist, Dr. Valerie Rent, the School of Optometry at Western University in Pomona, California, We'll be discussing concussions and their effect on vision and how to work the possible problems out that they cause. Okay, Dr. Agarwal, let's discuss droopy eyelids. Can they be fixed? Yeah, absolutely. So droopy eyelids are um, a a common problem, and they can occur for a, a whole host of different reasons. So on the most commonly, most common form is just 
you know, time, <laughs> and <laughs> and it catches up to all of us and uh, causes some loosening of the tissues of the eyelid and uh, makes the eyelid heavy and pushes down from the extra skin or the heavy, looser skin and forces the eyelids down um, and causes them to droop. Other patients get droopy eyelids for different reasons. Sometimes you can have a skin cancer on your eyelid pushing it down. Sometimes you can have um, a, a, a droopy eyelid from birth uh, where you, you don't have normal development of that muscle and, and you develop an eyelid that just doesn't open fully. Um, also, there is a possibility that with trauma or an injury, you can damage the eyelid muscle and cause it to um, come down or scar down. Uh, and be a little asymmetric, or if both of them are affected, they can come down symmetrically. So those are all things that uh, are absolutely treatable, um, and uh, and surgery usually is involved to make an eyelid go higher. Sometimes in in the in our first case of uh, a patient getting older and maybe having excess skin. We go ahead and do a surgery. I do all my surgeries in my office on in these particular cases, and uh, it's kind of a small procedure, and like almost like going to the dentist you could think of, where you get a numbing shot, a numbing injection into the area. Patients don't feel anything, and we sort of chat our way through surgery, um, and you know we get those eyelids to be a little bit higher and a little bit more comfortable and clear the visual access and allow that patient to see well. And and what's interesting is during the procedure, all of my patients notice that, wow, the room suddenly looks brighter. So that's something that patients often notice. Uh, Just getting that extra tissue, it's kind of like opening up the blinds or taking off that visor. You notice a lot more light coming in. So that's a wonderful result. And then sometimes patients need not only a removal of that extra skin, but a tightening, so to speak, of the muscle that lifts the eyelid up. Mm -hmm. Um, So with some stitches or some other types of surgery, we can actually get the eyelid height to be higher in addition to removing the skin that's hanging down. Doctor, are there some cases after the surgery is performed that the patient has trouble closing their eyes? Absolutely. So we talked about thyroid cases where patients develop a retraction and their eyelid retracts up. And so they tend to have a very retracted or maybe even a startled appearance on some level. And we go ahead and we make a small um, incision. Sometimes we put some graft tissue into that eyelid muscle and allow it to close. Sometimes patients notice that their eyelids aren't closing normally because of either a tumor or a growth on the lower lid or just, again, time catching up to us and making our eyelids sometimes a little weak and almost so weak sometimes that they go inside out. So they, we have to do a little surgery, and, and a lot of eyelid surgeries are small, and these things are very correctable, which is great, um, where we just tighten up those tissues and give them some extra support and allow the eyelid to close normally. And what probably a lot of our audience is wondering, uh, will insurance cover the eyelid surgery? You know, a lot of these conditions are absolutely covered by insurance. Uh, of course, having an eyelid that can't close is something 
um, that is extremely important. As we discussed, if an eyelid doesn't close normally, you could end up with exposed eyeball, especially at bedtime when you're dreaming and you're relaxed. The eyelid can creep open, and that can be very dangerous and and problematic for a patient. Um, it could get scratch. Your eyeball could get scratched. It could get exposed and dried out, and and even develop ulcers in some cases. So, absolutely, insurance definitely uh, historically um, has covered insurance to you know put an eyelid back into a normal position, um, and uh, and and create a, a more healthy eye. Uh, and in some cases, insurance can be um, reticent to cover eyelid surgery um, where where the eyelid might just be droopy from time. So sometimes those types of cases are sometimes covered and sometimes not, depending on how severe the drooping is. And if you just have excess skin with time, sometimes insurance companies won't cover that surgery. And again, the... Uh cosmetic effect for some of these patients is profound and uh, just as not probably as much as individuals whose eyes are crossed or divergent but it has a major effect on the well-being of that patient emotionally I would imagine too. Absolutely I mean actually being able to see especially when you're driving well you know to be able to get your you know the first patient I ever did eyelid surgery on when he when I after surgery came in for his post-operative visit and he said, you know, doctor, I've been driving a 16-wheeler semi-truck for 25 years, and it's the first time I feel really good. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a big change, uh, you know, getting yeah, his eyelids surgically open so he could actually function and yeah, do Especially if you're job. driving next to him, right? You know, obviously it's really critical. If you're on the freeway you, you've got to, and you're a truck driver, you want to be able to see as well as you can. Um, We also are very particular about doing eyelid surgery here to make sure that, you know, we're not getting anyone looking abnormal. That's always a concern that patients will be, um, you know, too open or, or, you know, something abnormal like that. No, the the goal of these surgeries is in this particular, the droopy eyelid case, is to just make someone look refreshed and just like with the truck driver, you know, be more functional. You know, when you read, when you drive, you feel like you're getting a lot of light in and you feel good. Um, so that's really important. When we talk about, obviously, things like skin cancer, which affects the eyelids, you know, all the time, you know, our face gets so much sun exposure, especially here in sunny Southern California. There's a lot of skin cancer. Obviously, those types of surgeries are, uh, you know, incredibly important for people's well-being. It makes you feel really good, of course, to get rid of uh, cancer, and it also makes you feel really good to, um, you know, not have that growth, to not have that growth pushing on your eyelid, pushing it down perhaps, or pulling it open depending on where it's located, um, and also just being a little bit more healthy and uh, getting that treated and uh, reconstructed in a way that it's very functional. So we work really and, hard on all those areas. And possibly not having it metastasized to other parts of the eye or the rest of the body, which in various circumstances, I think it can. Uh, doctor, we're going to end up here. I really appreciate you being on the show. There was so much great information that it's hard to believe the hour is done as far as that's concerned. <laughs> and like I said, I so enjoy when I get to listen to you lecture live. 
uh, within our area here. It's uh, yeah, and you're very entertaining as far as uh, passing on really excellent information. So anyway, I appreciate you coming in with us. And as I said earlier, we'll be on next week with Dr. Valerie Wren from the School of Optometry at Western University. And I'm really looking forward to having her on the show, too. So I want to say goodbye. You've been on Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob on voiceamerica.com on the Health and Wellness Channel. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Vision Talk Radio with Dr. Bob. We'll be back next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week. We'll be right back.